Hello, my name is Janice B. Gordon. This is Scale Your Sales Podcast. Welcome to the Scale Your Sales Podcast, listed number nine of 42 best podcasts for every sales professional in 2021. I am Janice B. Gordon, the customer growth expert, recommended by LinkedIn as one of 15 innovative sales influencers to follow in 2021. In today's episode of Scale Your Sales podcast, my my guest talks about the importance of storytelling in conveying sales stories. So whether this is to your customer, to your investors, um, to buyers or within your own teams. He gives some guidance as to how you can collect stories and the fact that they are the personal connection in order to deliver the message. So you're going to really enjoy what he has to say as the leading European authority on transformative sales um, uh, storytelling in sales. My next guest is one of Europe's leading experts on high impact business storytelling skills. A former president of Professional Speakers Association Ireland, an author, a blogger, a podcaster and my dear friend. Today he's going to delve into the art of using stories to boost your sales impact. So welcome to Scale Your Sales podcast, Eamon Owen. Hello, hello, Janice. Great to see you. Oh, it's really a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Now, we've known each other for many years, maybe about... Many, many years. Many, yes. many, many years. So I have you know, laughed and we, we've laughed, we've cried, we've chatted, we've, so, we've solved the problems of the world a bazillion times. Well, let's see if we can do a bit more of that on the Scale Yourselves podcast. What do you say to that? A hundred percent. Brilliant. Okay, so let me first ask you about the founding of the Reluctant Speakers Club. It's quite a interesting title. What do you mean by that and what do you do in the Reluctant Speakers Club? Yes, yeah, so uh, the, the reason I created it, actually, I, 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 my background is cross-cultural sales and marketing for over 30 years. And um, I was working with a company over in the UK and they decided they would go off to Hong Kong. They said, do you want to go? And I said, not really. <laughs> so I, uh, I thought, well, what do I want to do? Because I've been at this for a long time. So well, whatever I want to do, I want to do something that I really enjoy, something that's a lot of fun. And so I had gotten into professional speaking by mistake some 30 years ago in Dallas. And uh, uh, I thought, well, you know, wouldn't it be fun to do something with this? But what problem am I solving? And what's going to be different about this? And one of the things that was interesting, I did a deal of research at the outset and I asked people, so what what are your thoughts about public speaking? Of course, you hear the old things about, like you know, nerves and what have you. But what's interesting was that over eight out of 10 executives, I'm not talking about people at a more junior level, had such a fear of speaking in public that they either never did it or they tried to avoid it at any opportunity they could. So reluctance was clearly the key thing. So I thought, well, I'll just call it what it is, I suppose, so that it's quite obvious that you know, you have a reluctance if you have a discomfort in speaking 
comfortably, uh, comfortably, confidently, I should say, I'm working with teeth and <laughs> comfortably uh, in front of audiences, and this is for you. And um, But what I've also done is I've tried to make it a lot of fun. So this, this is a, a, a no pain zone. And it's really interesting, you know, um, as the pandemic was hitting, then we all had to go online. And you would have thought that salespeople would be natural on camera you know they're doing presentations on the time all the time you would have thought that the adjustment will be quite easy and seamless for them and a whole ho host of speakers uh, and um, uh, sales people that are speakers really because they're presenting all the time they have to present their ideas suddenly were very reluctant to go online, to do the transaction online, to put on their cameras uh, and very much felt exposed and judged. And I thought that was quite interesting in, in, a, in a, a space where you would think they are natural speakers. Yeah, we see the challenge is that, you know, whatever about one to one conversation or one to two with whatever small groups, if you are trying to connect with an audience through this, and that is a cold and an animate thing. And one of the things that's very interesting is that a camera robs you of energy. So if you want to be more interesting and more engaging, you almost have to be like, you know, Janice or Eamon plus 30%. <laughs> now, if you know, we're, we're fairly full on, but imagine 30% more. I said, oh my God, I love you. And I often do this, Alexa. I ask people, says, you know, um, I just want you to speak to camera in your normal voice. And said, okay, I just realized I'm a little blurred because I got so excited there. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, now I want you to do this at 30% more, and then I want you to do it at 200% more. And what is very interesting is when they look back at the, oh my God, have I lost all sense portion, the 200%, so that's about right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so you have to bring energy and you have to bring warmth to the camera. That is much easier to do when you're in person than when it is through this thing. So that's a bit of a challenge for people. Yeah, yeah, it certainly is. And so let's talk uh, more about storytelling in business. Now, this is yep. Europe, Europe's leading authority in transformative business storytelling. Yep. So tell me more, what does that mean? Well, the thing is that every decision that you make, in fact, every thought that you have is basically through the filter of story. Um, if you think about how you get almost any meaning in life, it's through the stories that you experience, it's through the stories that you hear, the stories that you tell, and the stories that you believe about yourself. And certainly the last one is hugely important. So story is at the center of most everything. And in fact, the truth is that you cannot be more persuasive if you don't actually get through the filter of stories. But the, 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 the key thing here is that your stories are not about you me trying to share something with you to tell you how wonderful I am or for you to think something like that. They are very much for you, for you, the audience, so that you can actively engage in the story think this is, oh, this is really interesting. That relates to me. I want to know more. So the, the key in, in all sales, of course, is that you are both listening to people and then you are serving them in a really, really warm, personal, authentic fashion. And stories, of course, is a perfect way in which to do that. So that's interesting. You, you know, I'm telling the story. Yeah. Story is not about me. No. It's not for me. 
it's to convey a message so that whoever's listening, the customer, the buyer, yeah. is, it resonates with them. How do you then turn it to make sure it, it resonates, it can resonate on a personal level, but actually you're in a business environment. You want it to lead somewhere. You want it to have an outcome that will drive or move the customer further along the buying process. Yeah, well, I think that, you know, you must always start with the outcome in mind is what I would say. Um, you know, what, what what problem do you want people to focus on? How can you help people to get to that point? I had an old boss in America and he used to always say to me, Eamon, uh, whatever you do in this game, always make sure that people buy something, something, an idea, a concept, whatever it is, for their own reasons ahead of yours. So that's what you do. You want to get into their mindset. Said. And it, the, the stories that you're you're thinking about, but you've got to ask yourself a number of questions. Says, you know, is this something that is personally relatable to them? It's not talking about, you know, uh, uh, I or somebody else in my company is the hero in this situation. The hero in the story must always be the person who is listening. They've got to see themselves in the story. So the key thing that you're always asking here is, is this personally relatable? Can somebody see themselves in this situation where they can connect? Because this is what you do when you're listening to a story. You always think, now, where have I come across this before? Uh, is this something new? Is this something I have to listen to? And so, uh, 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 you know, you, for example, Janice, um, me, Eamon, we are the sum of our stories. There is nobody in the world like you. Well, you know that. There's nobody in the world like you. <laughs> There's nobody in the world like me. There's nobody in the world like anyone who's listening to us today. So you've got to understand that, you know, all persuasion has to happen at a personal level. It cannot happen at a group level. And so the story allows people to be actively involved in whatever's going on in, in whatever you're sharing. And the upshot is they actually kind of co-creators of a new meaning. And if they've heard that story and think it's really interesting, then when they're telling it to somebody else, it's no longer Janice's version or Eamon's version, it's their version. And that's what you want. You want transferable stories that are interesting that people want to tell again, and it, it causes the right kind of reaction. I think that's really an interesting term, co-creators of a new meaning. So yeah. how do you know when you're telling something that it's going to be something that will be adopted by your customer, your by even your boss, whoever you want to influence, and then they will take that and be able to retell it? How, how do you know it has those elements? I'll, I'll give you an example. So I got a call uh, early last week from one of my clients. Uh, he was calling me from Japan. It was bright and early in the morning. He just got out of the meeting. He said, Eamon, Eamon I, I had to call you. And he said, that was the best sales presentation of my life. I said, oh, do tell. He said, oh, why was that? He said, my boss, just he, he didn't know what got into me. And the clients are just over the moon. And he said, what I didn't do today was I didn't use a PowerPoint. I had it there and I was I had it ready to good to go, but I didn't do any of that. I led with a story. He'd had a conversation uh, with his six-year-old son about a number of things that his son had done that week in school. And uh, he so he had two little stories and he connected uh, both of these, but um, uh, and I'll, I'll tell you what the stories were in, in a moment. But what was interesting was that he instantly noticed that 
every single person who was in that audience was kind of nodding along and they were into the story and that actually sparked a conversation because he was selling a very complicated type of uh, CRM system uh, about, um, you know, none of us is smarter than all of us and how we have something to learn from each and every person. So one of the things that the, the young people have been talking about was how they got to do a school trip and how people notice amazing things. They have been doing a, a thing called Picker Pals, where kids just go and uh, collect rubbish. <laughs> and they, 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 they were doing all sorts of songs. Blah, blah, blah. But anyway, he came back and he was just buzzed about this because he had gotten this from many, many other people. And the other one was a little bit of a tell type story where he came back and he said, I'm terribly sorry. Um, I'm sure you didn't say it exactly that way. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, from Japan. I'm not sure if that. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 this was back in Ireland. He, he was oh, okay, yeah. okay. But, but anyway, uh, uh, I, I just need to let you know before the teacher does that uh, I did something I shouldn't have done today. So well, what did you do? And he said, I copied um, my friend's spellings. And of course, uh, he thought his friend was very bright, um, but his friend spelt a few words wrong and remarkably he did the same thing. <laughs> And he just said, can I just say, um, please don't do that again. And um, always look to the source before you choose who you're going to depend upon. <laughs> In other words, do a bit of research. <laughs> but anyway, um, what was interesting was that this became a conversation rather than this being a, a, a one-way traffic type of presentation, which is very common in sales, and certainly something that he had done. He had a 22-page, um, or 20-page, whatever it was, um, a PowerPoint presentation he would normally do, which is full of lashings of detail and more charts than you could shake a stick at. And he realized, actually, um, I'm never using that again. I need to connect at a personal level because that was actually what broke the ice. That was actually what caused people to lean in and want to know more. And that's what you're looking for. It's interesting because, you know, I, I, um, actually on, on an evaluation this morning and they said, you know, it's really brilliant, but look too much. And I always get too much in there, too much. And it's wanting to deliver a great job, do so much for your client or your audience and whatever. And it's really hard not to overdo it, overcook it. And I think one thing that stories do, it stops you from putting in too much content and information because, you know, you're trying to convey the message through the story. Um, yeah, so that's that's why I need <laughs> <laughs> more work on my stories so you know i can take out uh the the need to want to over deliver really uh, yeah. i love that i love i love that example by using six-year-olds and they do say you know speak to people as if they're a six-year-old and in order to convey a really clear message but yeah i i, I mean uh, he, he he captured just how earnest his son was now dad uh, you know, um, uh, you might get a call today. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he didn't, I don't think, but anyway. <laughs> so tell me more.
sure about you say that you're a big believer in few and well beats um, many and kind of sort of explain that to me that kind of thinking yeah so you know a, a, a lot of um, selling you know we think that if only people knew all the stuff that was in our head then my goodness I mean this would be a no-brainer you'd absolutely run with it it's like having a sex ed ch uh, chat with a, 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 a tw 10 or 12 year old you know they didn't really want to hear all the detail I tempered her, I saw your face and I said, oh no, I don't know where you're going to So, you know, the, the, the key thing here, again, what, what I was saying to you is that if you and well is really about picking one or two key problems that you want to help people to solve rather than suggesting I can solve 20 or 30 or 40 because people can't compute. You know, you've heard me saying before that men can't multitask. Well, neither can women. If you give anyone too much information, it's hard for us to process. And in particular, it's very hard for us to remember stuff. So the more you can simplify and whatever you do, do it really, really well, that's a more immersive experience that tends to create a far better emotional connection and charge. And it's more fun for everybody. It's much easier for you, incidentally, uh, from a sales perspective. And to be honest with you, you know, if by the time you get to the 12th reason why I should do anything, I will have lost the will to live. I don't know about you. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't matter how good it is. It doesn't matter how, how good it is. And But I think also that uh, it, it's that focus. And uh, uh, the key thing here is that it's not just what you assume that the problem is. It's very important that you find out from the other audience's perspective what the problem is. I'd quit this myself, so I, I told you that I was involved in cross-cultural marketing for years. So back in the 90s, I used to make commercials. So I made over 300 TV commercials. I don't know if I've ever told you the story before, but anyway. <laughs> At the very first commercial I made, um, they gave me a budget of $3 million. And I was supposed to do something for the Russian-speaking audience, who's actually mostly Ukrainian, living in America, for these for ethnic communities where, you know, English was not their first language at home. But this was also going to go out on ABC, NBC, CBS, all that kind of stuff. So we did, uh, I, I, my boss, I said, well, any other well, you Eamon, I want you to be, be real. So I'm thinking, great, I'm going street. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind Scorsese. Uh, so I'm going to have a little Odessa, and we got a real um, uh, Russian-speaking audience, real uh, Russian uh, restaurant. In fact, they had 14 types of borscht. That's how real it was. Um, we had real music in the background, and the, the agency, which was a big wig agency, um, very um, uh, white shoe uh, one, uh, they gave it the Dr. Chibago treatment. And we put this out onto the national airwaves, and thank God it worked really well. So that was great. So I was so proud of this, as if, you know, it's like the parent of a firstborn. You think, you know, you're a perfect parent. <laughs> Until, <laughs> but anyway, um, I, I thought, well, I better put the Russian language version of this in front of some agents and see what they think of it. And so I brought it over across the road to, there's maybe six or seven folks who are watching it. And there was one woman, her name was Ava, and she was like this. 
And I went, what, what, what? <laughs> what did you like? And she said, yeah, you know that bit when you said, you know, you want to get closer to your audience? Yeah. Um, so my mother, she's very religious. And uh, uh, if she hears that you want to be that, um, she's going to insist that we get married. And uh, you're, you're Catholic, Emma? Yeah, you should go to confession. <laughs> so, so anyway, Ava taught me the single most important and most valuable lesson that I ever learned in marketing, which is that everything that you do has to come from the other person's perspective. I had made the classic mistake of assuming that I knew what people should want, what they should care about, and I hadn't actually done the hard work of listening first. Every single commercial I made, uh, commercial I made after that, always was based on having listened to what people want and to couch whatever we said and the stories that we told from their perspective, never from mine. That was such a powerful essay, and I uh, to this day I thank Ava because my goodness, uh, she did me a, a monumental favor. What and so saved millions. I I learned that Save when millions. I worked in cu yeah. customer experience and. People have heard me say, and I do it in, in my um, keynotes, customers are your best innovators and creators. The problem is with many organizations, marketing and sales, they don't ask the customer. They don't have those feedback loops. We think it's very internally focused. We think we know everything. And that is expensive and dangerous. And product development is, you know, classic in, in that as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's perfectly natural. All right. So based on what we've just talked about, customer experience, I'd like to kind of like develop that even further and, and ask you, to what extent do you think customer experience, customer centricity has on a sales and marketing organisation? Is there a link or, or not? Oh, 100%. Uh, you know, every single decision uh, that's a sales decision. Uh, it doesn't matter whether it's a pitch, whether it's a product. It's always a personal thing, and it's there's always it, you always have to lead with emotion and back it up with logic. Uh, if you are not uh, personally customer centric, the truth is that you can oftentimes be passing as ships in the night, or you may not create sufficient value in the mind of those that you are serving. So it's really important that you listen. I, I give people an example of uh, how not to do it and then how to do it. So I, 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 a quick against, a story against myself uh, way back when, um, before I did MBA, uh, my MBA, and I know you did one too, that um, I, uh, I got a call from a headhunter and said, would you like to work with a merchant bank? Merchant bank, that sounds good. Yes, you can be an executive, marketing executive. I'm nearly on the board. <laughs> so, uh, so I went in for the interviews, and you know though that that little voice in your head that you ought to listen to when just something doesn't. Mm, yeah, I'm not sure about this, but anyway. Uh, but my boss, they had created this insurance product, and I won't get into too much detail. But it was one of these kinds of things where a customer could stretch their their payments for uh, their insurance over the course of a year. And they wanted to sell it through insurance brokers. And after three or four weeks, and incidentally, the, the insurance brokers were supposed to love this. Oh, they'll, they'll be <laughs> biting your hand off to get this. So after three weeks of nobody biting my hand off, <laughs> I, 
I finally had one broker who said, "Look, um, uh, I uh, I'll happily take your uh, your call if you want to come round and visit me." So I said, "Well, thank you very much." And I went in, and he said, "Just before you sit down, I just want you to know that I'm not going to buy from you, and I will never buy from you." Oh, why is that? And he said, "Because I hate your product." I said, "Well, why do you hate the product?" And he said, "Well, because." Basically, what you're doing is you are um, uh, putting out a product where instead of something coming through my bank accounts, it's going to go through yours. It's going to make my bank manager think I've got no business and he's never going to give me an overdraft again. And secondly, you're also creating a relationship with my customer. And it's taken me 30 years sometimes to get these folks in the door. And I'm absolutely not sharing that relationship with you. And I said, well, I'm so glad you told me that. And he said, well, I'll, I'll mention that to my boss. <laughs> so I went back thinking that I'd be a hero. And I went into my boss and I said, so this is what our customers are saying. And he just looked at me and he said, Eamon, you're just not selling it right. Yeah. <laughs> Does that familiar? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, very much so. Yeah, <laughs> hit the phones harder. Hit the phones harder. Yes, yeah, we can do more. Exactly. They, they just don't know what's good for it's them. It's just a numbers game. Just keep going. Push through it. You know, you're yeah. a killer. You're a hunter. Keep going. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that that was a, I, I I left that job just as as soon as I possibly could because if you are not gearing yourself to be demonstrably coming from the customer's perspective where they're constantly assessing, what's your motivation? Why is Janice here? Is Janice here for my good or for her own? Yeah. And you want it always to be from their perspective. And a flip of that is that uh, as a kid, I used to work in a shoe shop. And my uncle owned one of, one of uh, three shoe shops in our family. And uh, I asked him, well, if I'm going to work in here, um, do you have any advice on how to sell shoes? And he said, well, don't ask people what size they are when they come in. Don't ask them what color they want. Just ask them, what is this to go with? So that's what I did. And it's remarkable just asking that question, how many stories you'd hear and, and how people start to think, actually, I need this for this. And more commonly than not, they would come out not with just one pair of shoes, but two or three. Yeah. And my my uh, uh, my boss uh, in the shop uh, that went because we got commission on these things, and I was the third, the lowly third person on the totem pole who didn't get to talk to customers when the others had been there. <laughs> uh, I had three times more commission than they did. But this was not for any reason other than people chose to do things for their own reasons. And it has stuck with me to this day, which is that you always want to come from the other person's perspective because there is nothing more important. I love that. I mean, I think that's the kind of overriding um, message here. Now, so quick, quickly, um, let me ask you here, a salesperson's listening to this and they think, yeah, I need more stories. I need to make sure I make that emotional connection. What would be the tipping point for them? How do they start to kind of switch across? What tip would you give? Well, I think the number one thing is to start by accumulating um, stories that you have. We all of us encounter all sorts of interesting things. So yesterday I was telling you before we came online that I had a less than stellar experience. <laughs> I was trying to get from Cork to Dublin with an electric car, which should be a three hour drive and it took five and a half. 
And that's because I stopped at four different places and um, we have a promise in this country that, that we're going uh, gangbusters on putting uh, electrical chargers out there, but none of them were working. And so the upshot is that if you make a promise, it must always be kept because he fooled me once, you know, um, shame on you, fool me twice, and I'm getting really mad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so who is your hero or shero? Um, I, I, I actually have a very local one. There's a fellow called um, uh, Father Peter McVerry, uh, who is a, 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 a Jesuit who has now for 50 years been working with the homeless here in Dublin. And I, I think why I admire him so much is that here's a fellow who doesn't want any material stuff. Anything you give him, he'll give it away. But it's the selfless, selfless serving of others and making a difference. And what is extraordinary is that he inspires not just me, but others, and that it shows that you don't have to have great power to have great influence. But the, the stories of who he has helped along the way, they're legion. And so, yeah, he's a, a, an ex extraordinary um, person. And, yeah, he would definitely be my hero. Excellent. Excellent. So how can listeners get hold of you, Aiden? Yes. Yeah, so if you go to the reluctantspeakersclub.com, find uh, lashings, hundreds upon hundreds of blog posts, of podcast interviews, of uh, you'll find uh, lashings of YouTube videos. Um, yes, so come and visit. Excellent, excellent. As always, it's a pleasure. I love your stories. We could have gone on for hours because I know that you have, you know, like a, a, a bottomless a bucket of, of stories to offer uh, listeners. So thank you very much for sharing your knowledge and experience and insight, Eamon. It's always a pleasure speaking to you. Always a pleasure. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Scale Your Sales podcast. If you like this discussion, feel free to listen to other episodes or watch the caption show on YouTube and subscribe to future episodes. I would really appreciate it if you would leave a positive review on iTunes. Thank you.